A quick note just before we begin, this episode was recorded before Michael Saunders was almost but not quite traded to the Angels, so now you know and you won't wonder why there's an appalling lack of Michael Saunders' almost trade discussion in this episode. Okay, enjoy. I've been Welcome to episode 824 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller, who is roving around on his cell phone today. And we're doing the next team in our preview series, which is the Angels. Later in this episode, George Bissell will be talking to Pedro Mora, who covers the Angels for the LA Times. But first, we have the pleasure and honor of talking to this year's BP Annual Essay author for the Angels. This is his third BP Annual Essay and his third year on this podcast preview series. He is a contributing editor at Vice Sports and the co-founder of The Classical, David Roth. Hello, David. Hi, how are you? Hey, Ben. Uh, you asked David before we came on how he got the Angels essay, and I can actually I can I can answer with a little bit more detail because David the first two years got the Marlins and the Rockies, which suggests that either we give him the expansion teams or we give him the sorriest, saddest sacks of, of baseball teams. But in fact, uh, the thing connecting the Rockies and the Marlins was uh, you know kind of a controversial or borderline crazy ownership. So uh, so the Angels made sense because uh, Artie Moreno is uh, maybe the most active and uh, controversial owner left. Well, I'm glad to know there was such a good rationale behind it. That actually makes more sense because <laughs> it, it does seem like there's like four or five words that I used to describe very wealthy people that I don't like. You guys already know that I know how to type those, so like that would be a logical explanation for it. <laughs> and your essay is about how the Angels are kind of like an internet comment section which sounds improbable, but I think you make a pretty good case. And so I'm going to read from an internet comment section about your essay from our Facebook group. And it's from a listener named David who says, I just want to warn all Angels fans to not read the intro essay. While it is one of the better pieces of writing I have read in a long time, you will not be able to shake it all season. It made me so sad I almost wept. You've been warned. There is no way any of the other team intros will more effectively cut out the heart of your fandom and show you the cancerous growth living on it. Hashtag thanks, Artie. Can I give one? Can I give one more data point here? Sure. So I landed in uh, at John Wayne Airport yesterday in uh, in Orange County, and so the first thing I see when I get off um, the the flight is there's this big display on the wall, like behind glass, that shows all the you know some some great angels accomplishments from recent years and. There's like photos of, of everything and like uh, details. It's like a little display. And so they've got like, um, they beat the Red Sox in the playoffs in 2009. And then you go to 2010 and it's like Hideki Mitsui guns. And in 2011, it's like Jordan Walden's an all-star. And then it just, it just stops. <laughs> There's nothing after 2011. <laughs> it's hard to top Jordan guessing, Walden all-star season. I'm guessing that that's just like a bureaucracy thing that they just... Like whoever the you know uh, agency is that runs that airport probably like requested that stuff and then never followed up again. 
but it is kind of a, in a nutshell, of the Angels' you know past half decade. <laughs> so it's a little different from the previous. I mean, when you wrote about the Marlins, that's a that's an easy one to make the case about terrible ownership and Rockies. I think was easy in its own way, also. And the Angels are a little bit different in that they've been competitive recently and they've spent money recently. They continue to spend money. So what is it about the angels that makes them comment section esque? And that's, I mean, to be honest, it's just they, they won one fewer game last year than that they needed to. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're a bummer, like authentically, I think. And like in a, in a way that stems from Artie Marino's sort of personal bummerness. But like if they'd made the wild card last year and been swept out or something, I wouldn't have been able probably to, to write this. I wasn't setting out to write anything like this. I mean, I know that I followed the team like sort of sliming of Josh Hamilton in spring training last year with, I would say, not so measured disgust. I mean, just kind of, I thought it was one of the nastiest things I'd seen a team do in a, in a really long time. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, I was just sort of reading about what their season was like last year. And, and it was just sort of, it kept, there's like this, this sort of pervasive vibe to it of uh, backwards isn't, isn't like quite the, because it's the right word for it because it's, you know, plenty of managers. It's like you hire a manager to be backwards and then you hire a GM to sort of like, they balance each other out. Whereas like, there's just sort of like culturally with the angels, there's this sourness that I sort of like, you could get it even in just like sort of reading stories about them all year. That there's like constantly these sort of team meetings happening where everybody's just like being a dick to each other. And they're just, for a team that is actually pretty good and that won a bunch of games, it just seemed like everything surrounding them was so, like, pissy and dire and, like, just off. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's obviously a joy to having Mike Trout, but there's also sort of a, I don't know, I, I guess it's if you have Mike Trout and you don't surround him with people who are worthy of being teammates of Mike Trout, then, in a sense, it's uh, almost more depressing. I guess it's that... If like, you know, you would expect that a historically great player would be more likely to be on a great team than just some schmo, just because, you know, if his team drafted and developed him, then maybe it's good at drafting and developing talent, or maybe it would spend more to surround that historically great player with other great players. And so you would think that it would just be a really great team surrounding Trout that you'd do everything you could to give him the supporting cast he deserves. And they haven't really done that in the last year or two. It's kind of been Trout and a thin roster that has been just barely good enough with Mike Trout to contend, but still with a lot of holes. And somehow super expensive at the same time, which is weird. I mean, you can't say that they were like cheaping out on it and like just sort of hoping that Trout and a bunch of like quad A guys would get the job done. Like they're just just up against the luxury tax. And they're still not good enough. Mm-hmm. And they've so, like, you know, I think it's just they've lost so many draft picks from signing so many free agents or whatever. I mean, it's the worst farm system. And they're puzzling. I don't think I nearly got to the bottom of it. I think, like, I started sort of digging in, and I just got real sad and woke up, and there was 2,500 words about how sad I was on the page. And <laughs> that was exactly how many they asked for, so I just sent it. But it was like, you know, bizarre yeah. to consider. Non-trout angels hitters last year hit 239, 294, 373. Do you have a breakout of just their left field guys? Yes, actually. I'm reading Jay Jaffe's offseason report card. He gave them an F, by the way. And uh, <laughs> Angels left fielders last year hit 216, 275, 317. And 
I guess the defining feature of their offseason is that they didn't really fix that. <laughs> there are just a couple of positions still where they're just sort of still going with Johnny Javitella and, you know, Daniel Nava or Craig Gentry or something like the the very obvious holes from last year's team are still just as obvious holes. You seem sort of like mystified as though like you can't you can't figure out why they're doing this. But I mean, this is a pretty clear cause and effect, right? They spent a ton of money on a couple of guys and uh, now they can't sign all the other guys. And that's pretty much the whole story. Isn't that like 90% of the story of the Angels at this point is that they've got like a, a good size team's payroll locked up in players who are just sort of a combination of not that good, not available, or literally excised for personality reasons? Yeah, that's yeah. that's part of it. I mean, historically, it seems like Artie Marino has always been able to spend on one more guy when you think that he can't spend on one more guy. And so that was kind of the thought coming into this winter. There were so many corner outfielders available who would have plugged the Angels' holes very ably. And I guess they just couldn't or felt that they couldn't afford any of those guys. And they are something like $2 million under the luxury tax threshold. And Marino recently denied that that has anything to do with it. And he also kind of cried poverty and said that, you know, they're close to being in debt and all this other stuff, even though they continue to draw very well and they have a big TV deal. And like an outlandishly big TV deal, too. Like, right. That's, I didn't see that he was talking about how, how hard up for money they were. That is. He did, another. yeah. And you never really know what to say when owners do that because, of course, we can't see the numbers. And I think we're generally inclined to believe people in life. And yet when sports franchise owners say those things, there seems often not to be very much of a, a shred of truth to it, just in that franchises keep appreciating so significantly that, you know, I don't know if they're talking about just income yearly revenue or, or what, or how they're justifying those statements, or if they're really just making them up because we can't prove them wrong or whatever it is. But he seems to be making those claims more often than he has in the past and actually acting accordingly. Yeah, it's weird, especially when you look at like the, the contract that the Mets are able to give to Cespedes this offseason and stuff like that. But, like A couple of improvements, I mean, like really just going from zero to anything at a few of the spots where the Angels got more or less zero last year. Like, I mean, it's not like they couldn't win the division with Mike Trout some guys and whatever version of Albert Pujols they get. And like, they just, they didn't even try to get some guys. They're just like, they're just dudes. Yeah. They did get, they did get Andrelton Simmons, which would be enough. If he, you know, if another team signed or acquired Andrelton Simmons, that might be enough for a good off season. You could imagine that being the centerpiece of a good off season, but it's the position where it sort of felt like they didn't actually need any help, which was, you know, part of what made it kind of a weird off season too. Like if you're targeting one place, you know, it wouldn't be shortstop. Although, I mean, you know, there will be benefits beyond this year, obviously, maybe. Yeah, and a lot of the, the worst, worst salaries that they have are going to be gone at the end of this year. And, you know, presumably Simmons is fine for a decent stretch. But, yeah, that was a weird deal, too, because it really, like, of the very few assets that they had, you know, if they wanted to trade Sean Newcomb, he's, like, I think the only prospect they had that most other teams would want. Like, you'd think that they could fill a position of greater need and then just, you know, whatever, ride out the whole Eric Ibar Thing for another year, another shocking and thrilling year of Eric Omar doing the things that he does. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I this thing was really hard to figure just in terms of like why they were doing the things that they were doing in terms of writing that. And so I think that some of 
what I kept coming back to is just like guessing that it was a combination of the the socio culture stuff, not socio culture, but and and then the and then Artie doing whatever it is that he does. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even with all of that, even sort of knowing all that, I still was pretty surprised, maybe taken aback when I saw uh, how low Pagoda projected the team as a whole and how early we were talking to you about this team. If you'd asked me to guess without like putting any real thought or in, anything into it. I probably would have thought, oh well, they're the Angels. They'll project to be a you know low to mid '80s team. That's they're always in that range. They they spend a ton of money and they have Mike Trout. And just thinking about it right now, I mean, they are what are they? They're clearly above average at four positions and clearly below average at five. Is that probably fair, Ben? Do you have like the depth chart in front of you? Yeah, I do. Uh, there's you know you know Escobar, who I don't know maybe if he can play third base. There's Cole Calhoun, and then yeah. there's Simmons, and <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, right. You have Trout, Trout, Calhoun, Simmons are the clear, and then Pujols probably is clearly above average. And then the other five spots all kind of look like holes. And then the rotation is not strong. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a sort of a surprisingly, wow, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. Trout's going to be worth 10 wins next year, probably, like, because he's worth 10 wins every year. And then it's just, it's just a drag to think that he's going to be sort of out there doing the Carmelo Anthony thing with these guys. Like, yeah, it feels like we, even when the Angels were good, there was a resistance to giving them full credit for how good they were because they didn't necessarily sign players that were the classic buy-low players or anything like that. They weren't OVP guys, all that. So this is this feels like maybe the first time in our lifetimes, not in our lifetimes, in the, the first time in the projections, though, that they project to be bad. Like, this is a, a new thing. The, the first year, probably, that they project to be bad. And we've talked about Sosha before on the show and on these previews, but you wrote about him a bit in the essay and sort of some some backwardsness. And, of course, there was the very high-profile flare-ups with Jerry Depoto. And Sosha used to be looked at as a great manager, you know, tactical genius-level manager, and the Angels were winning, of course, at the time, but he was given a lot of credit for their winning. And lately, when they've been winning but less convincingly, he I don't know if he even really has a reputation right now. I don't know if people would say that he is a great manager. I don't know if they would say he's a bad manager. He's just sort of oddly nondescript for someone who's been there for so long. Yeah, like the longest tenured guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, is that do you credit that to his? philosophy not evolving along with the game or you know is it like a great manager in 2002 who continues to manage like it's 2002 cannot be a great manager in 2016 or is it more likely that you know either we overrated him then or we're underrating him now or he just had a great team at the time or whatever it is i'm always inclined to say that it's a tendency or just because it is my personal tendency. Like, I was just, I'm speaking to you right now from within the body of someone who's fully talked himself into Terry Collins at this point. But, like, when a team is decent, you tend to look at the manager and, I mean, you like him more if he's your manager. But just in general, you know, I would say in 2002, it looked like he was doing a fantastic job because he was getting players to play better than it seemed like they should. And I I don't know if it's a question of, because, again, none of us can really tell you exactly what a manager does or what, you know, they can tell you when they're doing something wrong. But the way that it's, it sort of looks at them, there's, there hasn't been much sort of beyond, I guess, Calhoun is significantly, like, outperformed his pedigree and, and stuff like that. But, like, they just sort of, when you bring in all these kind of, like, musty, 
free agent dudes on the downslope and they perform more or less as you'd expect them to. It's sort of hard to see any way in which Sosha is or isn't doing a good job there because it's like he's just kind of like surfing these decline phases like seven surfboards at a time. It's an extremely vivid and confusing and a little psychedelic image. But it's like, it's hard to say like what it is he's actually doing now besides the fact that he was not doing what Jerry Dakota was asking him to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, it's hard to say, man. I mean, it really is kind of like strange how stagnant they allowed themselves to get because like there's still so much promise there in so many ways. And yet like they just keep not getting better and staying the same. Well, again, I mean, five years ago, or five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, whatever, they looked and saw that they had a bunch of good veterans. Not all of them were that old. In fact, most of them weren't that old. Like, Weaver wasn't that old. Fools wasn't that old at the time. I mean, it looked like he had a few good years before his decline. And uh, Wilson wasn't that old. And, you know, he had a quote-unquote young arm. And Ibar and Kendrick weren't that old. And they extended or signed to long-term deals, all those guys. And it didn't look dumb. Now, maybe individual cases would have looked like, wow, that's going to look bad by the end. But these are guys who it looked like they were good players that they were locking up for a long time. And I mean, it's not like a bad idea, right? Right. We're not talking about huge discounts or anything like that, but it's hard to get talent sometimes. It's hard to get the last piece. And so they locked in a bunch of these guys. And Weaver has been bad, even though Weaver was seen as a huge bargain and a hometown discount and like couldn't believe he signed that deal. Pujols has been bad, but nobody expected him to be that bad that quickly. Wilson has been bad, and maybe that was controversial at the time, but he also signed for a lot less than he was looking for, and that probably Jim Bowden had projected before the season began. Uh, Ibar and Kendrick are gone, and so the stagnation is just the sort of, in some some sense, it's the unhappy result of a reasonable plan. Yeah. It's also weird. I mean, you guess you see plenty of teams that do that to sort of lock players up, but the good ones are able to sort of turn those guys over and let some other team hold the bag for the last two years. I guess because they've constantly been in the mix, it's not the sort of thing where you can afford to like punt CJ Wilson to somebody at the deadline and get a couple prospects for him or something like they've always been in the conversation. And so they've never really like attempted to not even to like rebuild, but like really to, to sort of build in any meaningful way. They just sort of held his hand while it got progressively worse and then folded it. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of yeah. which, the, the angel system has, I feel like the angel system is like as famous for being bad now as the Royals great system was for being good a few years ago. People are labeling it the worst they've ever seen. Keith Law said it was by far the worst farm system he's ever seen. And it's at the bottom of every farm system ranking. I don't even know how they go about fixing that because, of course, they have Billy Epler now. And he's said things about it being a fully organic organization and growing everything in-house and wanting to you know, supply their own players. And yet they are just so painfully far away from that ideal that people are bringing up Mike Trout and trading Mike Trout as maybe a more realistic possibility than they would have a year ago although of course Moreno recently shot it down and and it's the sort of thing that is just really far-fetched even if it makes sense on paper but that's how far away they seem to be from actually assembling the next Angels team that is good so I don't know how you get from this to that they haven't really been super active on the international marketplace either have they because that would seem to me to be yeah. the easiest answer in the sense where you could just really throw money at it in a way that you can't at the draft. But I don't know that no, they, they weren't. Do that. They, well, they weren't. They were heavily underinvested there until fairly recently. And so they were already well behind. 
uh, and then they have not taken they have not taken you know the Yankees or the uh, some of these teams that have blown past their bonus pools. I think they blew past their bonus pool with Baldequin, which was kind of somewhat of an odd move. But I mean, another aspect, by the way, of the challenge of uh, having good happy churn when you see yourself as competitive all the time is that they had this bad farm system a few years ago. They also saw themselves as competitive, and so that's I think part of the reason why they have drafted guys who they thought were closer to helping lower lower upside guys, college guys who they thought could you know fill in the top half of the farm system quickly, and you know those guys when they all don't turn into that much, you don't have any lottery tickets. So yeah, it's got a bunch of young relievers which they do kind of have, you know, but it's it definitely doesn't it doesn't seem like enough. One thing that occurred to me while we were talking about the keeping these guys like locking them up when they're sort of you know to these comparatively advantageous deals and they all sort of like playing together is the fact that it didn't really seem like the team there's a lot of like backbiting and like weird shit in the press last year about people didn't think that CJ Wilson should go on the disabled list with his bone spurs and like teammates are kind of like anonymously suggesting X, Y, and Z to different reporters and stuff like that. So it seems like they sort of curdled in that way too that like what was once like a team where they were like trying to lock in a core of guys that played fairly well together and seemed to play fairly happily together but now all of those people are like rich. Seventy-five percent of them have like arthritis, and then and they all are just whatever grouchy with each other at this point, which is a really like a bummer way for a team to be. So uh, if you're Jerry Depoto and you've moved on, and so this is like you moved on not seemingly all that happily. You clashed with Sosha. You left after what seems to have been sort of a fight or something. I don't know if fight's the right word, but, you know, it was not... Two years staring uh, at <laughs> you, you didn't go... You didn't leave because you were going on your Mormon mission or, or anything like that. You left because, you, you know, it, it wasn't working, right? There's a hard feeling. So if you're Jerry Depoto, are you, like, rooting against this roster that you built? I mean, obviously, you're the Mariners now, so in the, fact that, in the sense of their competition, yeah, sure, you're rooting against them. But would you rather see this team do well and validate you that this roster that you more or less put together could win and it was good after all? Or do you want to see it burn so that everybody remembers the arty years when he, you know, made you sign Josh Hamilton and, and Albert Pujols and so on? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking about there. That, like, I can answer this as an exceptionally petty person myself. I think I'm uniquely qualified to, uh, to speculate on this particular <laughs> question. <laughs> the, like, I think that the stuff that you'd want to get right, I mean, you just want to be very clear about what things you wanted to do and which things the owner sort of told you to do. And that's where, like, I've never been, and again, I think I was kind of like, not guessing at it in the essay, but that like where, when the team made, even under like Bavasi and stuff like that, there's signed like trade for Vernon Wells, like these like totally inexplicable things that no other team would do. You have to assume that this is something that the owner wants to do because it's not the sort of thing that is as easy to credit as the decision of a baseball person, just because it doesn't seem like the decision that a baseball person would make. But with Depoto, it doesn't seem like his guys, to the extent that you can say that he had, you know, the impact that you'd imagine a GM having on the organization. You can't say that he did the worst job. It was just that, like, the top end of the roster curdled. But then they got more from, but from Garrett Richards, I think, than people expected. They got more from Cole Calhoun than people expected. And to a certain extent, I guess you can credit Dakota for that. I just don't know, like, it is hard to look at that farm system and be like, yeah, the GM did a great job. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to know. I don't get the sense that, that uh, Dakota would have that hard a time admitting that he's 
rooting for them to fail after all of this. <laughs> I think if I were him, I probably would have a hard time pretending that I felt any other way. But maybe he's more generous than me as possible. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. I know he's definitely more like physically fit and stuff, and youthful looking. <laughs> and those are important too, <laughs> in terms of uh, maintaining a veneer of equanimity. But as my, my body falls apart, I find it easier to be bitter. <laughs> Well, if Pakoda's right, at least you could do a lot worse. I mean, if you're if you're going to have a, a middling team, a middling team with Mike Trout and Andrelton Simmons is better than almost any other kind of middling team. So there's that. There is, and I just like I think that if you're if you're watching them or whatever, it's cool to know that there's two players that are going to do some amazing thing in every game. Mm-hmm. It's just there's something again. It's like that that feeling of like you only get so many years of Andrelton Simmons being Andrelton Simmons and so many years of Mike Trout being Mike Trout, and then just like having them sort of expend the equivalent of like a season in like a, you know whatever a PSA security line or a waiting room or like just a, a Dunkin' Donuts at a bus station, just like waiting for something to change. It's like that sucks because you know whatever. How many more years? Even if Trout has a career I think he's going to have, and we get like eight more years of him being awesome. Like, I, you know, you kind of like to be able to have those eight years go on as long as they can and last until the weather's cold and all that. And that's just like the idea of a team having those two players on it and somehow whatever being discussed on your podcast in the middle of February and being like this hopeless in the middle of February is like, that is a, like not just a drag. I mean, it's just like kind of baffling, right? All right. Well, you want to give us a win total prediction? Uh, I mean, say 77, just divisible by 11. What did Pocota say, actually? I forget what the projection was. I think Pocota's 74. Yeah, 75. Like, really harsh. I don't think that I picked... The year that I did the Marlins, I remember we... like we That was a bad Marlins team. Like, we discussed Brian Bogusevich on this podcast as, like, somebody <laughs> that was going to play on that team. And I don't think that I picked them to lose... To win 74 games. That's... I think I picked them to win more. Again, just because I... I was thinking about them in terms of the Mets at the time. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah, wow. Well, and would you, know, you have been that low before you saw the projection or other projections? On the Angels? Yeah. I don't know. I think that, I think that, but, um, what's the, the idea of it just being like, well, yeah, they're the, they're the Angels, so they'll win between 82 and 88 games and not yeah. the playoffs. Like, that's just sort of my default because it's been whatever, six or seven years of that, more or less nonstop. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's funny, like, the more we talked about it, the more it was kind of, like, dawning on me that this was, like, I actually did write about a bad team this year, like, so the streak is alive. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's strange, too, because, like, these names still have that sort of penumbra of, like, you know, you open a pack of baseball cards, you're glad to see an Albert Pujols in it or whatever, and, like, thinking of those guys as being, like, average or worse players is kind of a, is a heavy lift. We'll see where it is, you know, maybe by August it won't be so hard to imagine, but. Right now, it still feels pretty weird. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing what team you were assigned next year on your continuing yeah. tour. <laughs> I think we can't we can't really know yet, but I, uh, um, you know, I'm hoping it's not the Breeze or something. I want I want no hope. I was joking with somebody about it being the Reds, and uh, yeah, I, you know, fingers crossed, obviously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. Man. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And David is on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Roth. He's got the double underscore going. And he yep. is a contributing editor and writer at Vice Sports and co-founder of The Classical. Thanks again. And you can stay tuned after the musical break to hear George talk to Pedro Mora, the Angels writer for the LA Times. When the angels fall. Shadows on the wall
Welcome back to Effectively Wild. I'm George Bissell of Baseball Prospectus, and joining me now is Pedro Mora. He covers the Angels for the Los Angeles Times. You can follow him on Twitter, at Pedro Mora. Pedro, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule in Arizona. It's great to have you back on the Effectively Wild Team Preview Series. Thanks, George. uh, I'm happy to be here. It's always fun. I have to ask you right out of the gate, what's the best Mike Trout story that you can share with us? Either an iconic play that he's made that stood out to you, conversation you've had with him or something that you've heard from teammates or someone within the organization what's the most memorable Mike Trout moment you have so far covering him that's the question well my first thing is to mention something that I've already mentioned on effectively wild so I'm going to avoid that because uh it is the fact that he says yeah no as his first answer uh when he's asked almost any question possible uh that's a great little quirk but uh, I've already said that so I'm going to go with a different one my favorite Mike Trout moment is probably going to have to be the uh home run he hit off Chris Sale. I'm forgetting now if it was, geez, if it was April 2014 or 2015. Uh, I think it was 2014 on a, on a changeup, on a great changeup from Chris Sale. Actually, I don't know what month of the year it was, but it was in 2014 or 2015. And it was, it was a two strike count, I believe. And it was, it was an incredibly low changeup from Chris Sale. Uh, and he, a great pitch and he, he smacked it out to, to, the straightaway center, maybe a little bit left center for for a 410 foot home run, and it was it was an incredible uh, piece of athleticism. I was amazed. I was uh, absolutely amazed by that by that hit. I've been amazed by probably 30 other, maybe more uh, hits and plays he's made in the three years I've been covering him. But uh, that that's one that always sticks out to me because Chris Sale is very good at baseball, and Mike Trout is better. Yeah, I think that actually that exact pitch and that at bat by trout was written about in one of the bp annuals as just the symbol of how great he is because that's the ultimate pitcher's pitch you know low and away in an account like that to be able to do that's pretty incredible i agree the angels have had the best player on the planet mike trout for four full seasons dating back to 2012 and despite running payrolls well above the league average during that same time period they have zero playoff wins how is that possible uh well they only made it once and playoff baseball especially in a five game series is largely random <laughs> that's probably the first thing i would i would go with uh but other than that they they don't have the best uh they haven't had the best roster construction they haven't had the most conscientious roster construction uh in in recent seasons i think they've been missing certain things uh in you know, in 2014, and they also were hurt by the fact that they lost their best pitcher, Garrett Richards, uh, in, in mid-August. Uh, it might have gone differently. You know, the postseason might have gone differently had they had Richards uh, under their employ still at that point. But I think that, uh, I think, you know, I don't know that most people are probably going to project the Angels to not win a playoff game in 2016 as well. And then the question is going to become, you know, you have, you, you've got a half decade of the best player in baseball, you know, one of the best players in baseball history, and you haven't won a single playoff game. What the heck are you doing? And that's uh, that's what the Angels are, you know, have to be prepared to hear if they don't win this year. So that's that's the pressure that's on right now, as I see it. Do you feel there's a sense of urgency within the organization, uh, given some of the moves they've maybe maybe made in recent years or are likely to make in the future? That's a good question. You know, it's only four or five days into spring training as, as we as we speak here. I haven't, I can't say that I felt a, a you know a significantly larger sense of urgency now than in previous seasons. You know, professional base. Professional sports seem fairly urgent uh, from my perspective. Uh, you know that people take it pretty seriously for for a game, but I don't. I don't know that you know if you, if you had just talked me into one day of spring training and 
asked me, you know, does this look the same as 2014 spring training? I probably would have said yes, except there's no Josh Hamilton, pretty much. <laughs> was that the strangest story you've ever had to cover last year, the whole Josh Hamilton situation and how that played out with Artie Moreno? That's probably like the second strangest uh, story I've ever had to cover in my journalism career. The first one is when uh, USC was, I covered college football and USC was in trouble for uh, deflating a football purposely uh, against Oregon. <laughs> we have experience with that in New England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precursor to the, to the uh, Tom Brady thing. I, I remember being at a, uh, at a concert in, on, a, on a Wednesday night in October, November uh, 2011, and I got a text from my editor saying, are you on this deflated ball story? And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so that was the that was the weirdest thing I'd ever covered. But this is that's probably the second the Hamilton saga. You mentioned it a, a few minutes ago, but the, the Angels have been in the playoffs once during the Trout era. That was back in 2014. They won 98 games in the American League West Division title, but they are ultimately swept by the Royals. What needs to happen in 2016 for them to get back to the postseason? Because if you look at Pakoda's forecast, it's not very optimistic about their chances. So what are some of the things that need to go right this year if they're going to make it back to the postseason? Uh, they need to sign a left fielder. <laughs> no, uh, that, that would help, though. Um, it would help if they signed Dexter Fowler. They need uh, they need several things to go their way, I think, to make the playoffs. It's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I, I probably am a little bit, uh, little bit more bullish on them than Pakoda is, but just by a little... I think that uh, you know, I think that as long as Mike Trout's healthy, he's an, at least an eight-win player. So that's a, you know that's a pretty big base to to, to fall back on. I think um, probably a large portion of it is going to depend on their two veteran starters, Jared Weaver and uh, C.J. Wilson. I think uh, if they can get one of them to have a a season some more similar to the ones they had in 2012 and 2013, I think that would be huge uh, for the organization. You know, Garrett Richards was great in 2014. He was more just good. Uh, last year when he returned from injury and uh you know i don't know any other than the other than maybe the 2015 royals i don't know any team that has success without without an elite starter that's that's a good point probably that's probably just recency bias speaking (laughs) uh they uh yeah they you know garrett richards is you know i I believe that he could be better than he was in 2015 but you know we can't count on that of course so if they could have you know a larger base of, of good pitching instead of just some average guys and one good starter that would obviously be helpful I think their bullpen is fine. I think they have two, you know, countable, you know, bankable relievers there, um, and and a few other intriguing, talented arms. So that's, uh, you know, as much as you can really want at this stage in the in the season. Um, I think that the lineup is, is has some holes. I think uh, I'm surprised they didn't try to upgrade second base, or I should say, I'm surprised that they didn't upgrade second base. I know they did try. Uh, Johnny Giavatello was the worst defensive second baseman in the major league last year. He's not being handed the job this spring, but it's going to be a competition, and I think he is. Uh, you know, still the most likely person to win it, and he is not a uh, not a particularly competent defender, and he's also not great on offense. He was around average last year. I think the the addition acquisition of Andrelton Simmons at short will obviously help, but it's not going to be a significant improvement versus their 2015 shortstop Eric Ibar, who was still pretty good. You know, you know, above average defender, a better hitter than Andrelton. And so that, that acquisition was made, in my opinion, more, more looking towards the future in 2017, 2018, when Ivar wasn't going to be un, under contract rather than for this year. So I don't know that they're – it's hard to make the argument that they're better in 2016 than they were last year. Um, it's just – I don't really see it, other than maybe the fact that their left field platoon has to perform better than, than, uh, than it did last year <laughs> uh, because there's really nowhere to go but up. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a few things break your way. I could see them making the playoffs. I think the Astros are, are a great-looking ball club, and I think that, that I would have them firmly as a favorite in the American League West. But uh, 
I, I don't think it's unreasonable to hope to, to think that the Angels will make the playoffs. Mike Sosha is the longest tenured manager in the majors, and he, he is. Is he? I think he is. <laughs> yes, by a large <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say seventeen. Wait, seasons. yeah, <laughs> yeah. How uh, old were you when he uh, when when Mike Sosha started as the Angels manager? How old was I? Uh, I would have been like eight. Jeez, I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> or wow, or young. Yeah, no. I don't feel I don't yeah. feel that old anymore. Then, well, <laughs> he's had a pretty complicated relationship with analytics, uh, at least analytics from a, a broad perspective. Speaking about them, uh, it's something you wrote about over the weekend. How much of a role, if any, do you believe that analytics played in the rift between Sosha and former GM Jerry Depoto, who resigned last July and is now the GM of the Seattle Mariners? And what are some of the things that Sosha is saying about analytics and uh, advanced metrics this spring? Well, uh, that's a, let me unpack that question a little bit. Uh, he, I believe that uh, I believe that analytics did play a pretty large role in the uh, in the disbanding of their relationship, Depoto and Sosha. Uh, more than I had initially realized, I, I believe that to be true. Now, I think that it, it played probably the largest role of anything. Since then, uh, Sosha has denied that essentially more, you know. Pretty much repeatedly. Uh, this spring, I've been asking him about it, and he has said that uh, he incorporated every form of analytics he was given last year to use under Depoto and throughout Depoto's tenure, and in previous regimes as well. Um, there was a. It's it's sort of hard to recount the conversation and interactions I've ha- I had for the story that I wrote uh, over the weekend about social analytics, but it's it's all in that story on LATimes.com, and more or less, it's just him defending his usage of it, saying that he is open to it, saying that he will, he, he plans to uh, to use what Billy Epler, the Angels' new general manager, is going to develop in, in 2016. And to that end, Epler hired uh, you know two analysts, two programmers, an intern, and a, and a director of analytics uh, this offseason. So the Angels are going to have you know five and a half, six people, whatever you want to call it, working in analytics, whereas last year they had maybe like half a person because they didn't have a designated department, only people. Uh, who had other jobs who also spent some time on it. So it's, they're going to have a lot more things to work with, and now it's up to Mike Sosha to use them. And whether he will remains to be seen. Well, just just based on the numbers, I mean, if you look at it, according to Baseball Info Solutions, the Angels shifted the third fewest times last year. So I think some of the things he's saying run a little bit counter to some of the evidence we have. So I just yeah, think that's, that's an interesting uh, story. Not in a... That's not a crazy conclusion to draw. <laughs> uh, and if I if I do believe I do believe that in 2014 they shifted more than in 2015, or at least more relative to the rest of baseball. So part of it also is things that they may have done earlier in Depoto's tenure that, that they then went away from. That's also in play as an issue. Yeah, you you mentioned Billy Epler, and and what are some of the things he's talked about this offseason in regards to his general philosophy? Regarding the roster construction, you mentioned they do have a lot of holes, uh, most notably left field, second base, maybe in the back of the rotation. How specifically is he going to go around uh, about building this roster? Because it's going to have to center around Mike Trout. So what are some of the things he's maybe talked about in regards to building up the roster? Uh, I think he's focused on building uh, this week with me was a fully organic uh, organization. Meaning that he plans to uh, develop, you know, minor leaguers, obviously, but also develop coaching staff, you know, at the minor league level, staffers who can instruct minor leaguers the same way that major league staffers will. Um, you know, he's focused obviously on on improving the farm system, which is in dreadful state, a dreadful state, 30th in the major leagues. The general consensus is Keith Law from ESPN.com said he may have never seen a worse farm system. 
which is obviously not a nice thing to say, but probably true. Uh, I'll let Keith say that. Say? I'll yeah, let Keith yeah. say that. Keith, That's... Keith, yeah, Keith said that. Uh, I did not if you're listening, Angels people, but uh, you know, I trust Keith's knowledge on, on Angels prospects much more than I trust my own. So, but that uh, that's that is obviously an issue for the future, right? If your farm system is the worst in baseball by a significant margin, you are not in good shape to win. I think the Angels are set up uh, for 2016 and 2017 to win more than anything, especially in 2017 when Weaver and Wilson's contracts are out and before Trout and Simmons' deal go up go up a lot. Uh, between them, Trout and Simmons will be making, I think, $25 million more in 2018 than in 2016. Uh, and that is, you know, based on Artie Marina's concerns with his budget, that could, that could have, uh, you know, play a large role in their uh, in their roster construction. So I think this year they obviously want to win. I think in 2017 they're in great position if they, if they go out and spend on the free agent market. What's the latest timetable regarding Albert Pujols' recovery from offseason foot surgery, and what are the organization's expectations for him coming off a season in which the tremendous raw power remained intact, but there appear to be some concerns that his overall offensive numbers are somewhat in decline? Yeah, uh, I haven't, uh, Pujols hasn't been in spring training, hasn't arrived yet, so I haven't really got too much into him, but based on what the Angels are saying, he is probably not going to be ready for opening day, but it probably also is not going to be too long after opening day before he's ready to debut. Uh, Mike Kelsey didn't want to rule out the the possibility that he'd be ready uh, you know, on April 4th, but uh, based on what the doctors are saying, they would rather him, him wait. You know, he, he didn't have surgery until November, uh, and so that's going to be something we ask about. I ask about when he arrives, I think, on Monday or Tuesday at Angel Spring Training. Um, you know, why, why did it take a little while before he just made the decision to have it? I believe he didn't realize that he needed it uh, at first uh, when the offseason began. But uh, as to the larger question of his offensive production, you know, it's uh, it's a steady decline, it seems to me. You know, he hit a lot of home runs last year, obviously, but the, uh, the batting average wasn't good. The on-base percentage was not good at all. Uh, the the Abbott was like 220 something. The line drive rate went down. Uh, there basically were no indications that he's improving as a hitter, uh, other than the home runs. So I, I, it's not like he's going to be a useless player these next few years. I think for you know the Angels will derive a lot of still some plenty value from him in 2016, 2017, maybe 2018. But it seems exceptionally clear to me that you know in the latter three years of his deal, he's going to be an albatross. Uh, you know his contract goes past Mike Trout with the Angels, which is like. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Yeah, 217 Babbitt last year was the lowest of any uh, in baseball. So uh, when it wasn't going over the fence, it wasn't uh, wasn't dropping in for a hit, <laughs> basically. No, he's a. Uh, but I don't I don't know that he is going to post a particularly high Babbitt going forward based on his uh, his speed. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good point. Uh, Want to ask you about the rotation because you, you kind of touched on Garrett Richards as someone who at times he looks unhittable, but the, the command's a real issue. Um, do you believe that he can take that next step forward, or is he likely not going to develop into to the ace at the front of the staff, and they're going to have to look maybe outside the organization to try and find that ace going forward? No, I believe he can be an ace. Uh, I believe he can. Uh, I think that you know I've heard from scouts, from from opposing players, who when he's on, his his stuff is among the best in the game. You know, his slider when it comes in at ninety one, playing off a ninety seven mile an hour fastball. It's hard to hit, man. It's very hard to hit. In 2014, I believe it's been a while, but I think he gave up only four home runs in like 155, 160 innings, which is very difficult to do. Um, you know, he was great at suppressing the long ball uh, that season. So, you know, not so good at it last year. I think he missed up with his slider a lot more. His fastball command struggled some with the 
I think he's going to be a good pitcher. I, I don't know if he's, if he's going to be great. I think it can it can be the case. You know, it's Garrett Richards is a particularly interesting case because he doesn't have a large track record of success. You know, 2014 was the best season of his baseball life. Right, he wasn't good in college. You know, he had a five something ERA the year he was drafted by the Angels. He didn't post any ridiculous minor league numbers. It was always a stuff based projection for him. You know, it was the fact that he threw 96, he threw 97. It looked pretty easy. He had a sharp slider. Uh, so it's hard to know what to expect from him uh, because of all those things that I just mentioned. But yeah, I think uh, I think he can be you know a top of the rotation pitcher, and I think the Angels are counting on him to be. He's almost certainly going to be their opening day starter, even if Mike Sosha won't reveal it until you know the last week of March or the first couple days of April. <laughs> of the remainder of the rotation, there's some pretty intriguing names. Uh, Andrew Heaney, Hector Santiago, Tyler Skaggs is coming back from Tommy John. They have Nick Tropiano. Who's the most interesting of that group to you that you think could take the biggest step forward this season? Uh, uh, as far as the rotation, uh, they have eight guys who are pretty good, pretty competent mm-hmm. for uh, for five spots. So Nick Tropiano, who's probably the eighth guy, is, is, is almost assuredly going to begin the season in AAA. It becomes basically a three-man competition for the fifth starter spot. And those three are left-hander Hector Santiago, who was an all-star in, in 2015, Right-hander Matt Shoemaker, who was the Rookie of the Year runner-up over Masahiro Tanaka in 2014. And left-hander Tyler Skaggs, who was a top prospect uh, for, for many years and had a pretty good 2014 season until he blew out his elbow on uh, on the trade deadline year. So one of those guys is going to be in the rotation. Uh, one of them is probably going to be in the bullpen, and one of them is probably going to be in AAA. Uh, Skaggs is not going to be in the bullpen. That's the only uh, parameter that I've known. The Angels have said uh, in his recovery from Tommy John, they don't want him there. Uh, I think that out of those three, the player with the highest, the pitcher with the highest ceiling, and probably the guy I would take, assuming he's healthy, is Tyler Skaggs, and he seems to be healthy so far in spring. I think Skaggs has a lot of potential still to be a, uh, you know, a mid-rotation starter. I think Santiago is flawed as a pitcher. I think he's still useful. I, I'm kind of surprised the Angels didn't trade him uh, because he had a pretty good season last year, and he's now had you know three consecutive sub-four ERA seasons, and that can net you some value in the trade market. Uh, and Matt Shoemaker is still a little bit of an unknown. You know, he doesn't have the stuff that would uh, portend success. But in 2014, he had a lot of success around an ERA around three, and a, you know, just a dominant, honestly, a dominant season, which came out of absolutely nowhere. And Mike Sosha has credited it for saving the Angels' season that year and getting them into the playoffs. Uh, and you know, they led the league in wins. Uh, so one of those three is going to be in the rotation. Uh, who it is to who it is going to be? I would probably bet on Santiago to start the year, um, and of course, you know this could all change if if uh, trade is made with, you know, with C.J. Wilson, of course, probably being the primary trade candidate. But the other guys in the rotation are Richards, uh, sophomore left-hander Andrew Heaney, uh, Wilson, and Weaver, and those four guys figured to pretty much be uh, be mainstays in it, uh, barring injury. And then there's the fifth spot that uh, we just mentioned. And final question for you, Pedro. What's the most compelling player or storyline that you're looking forward to covering with this team this season? Uh, Mike Trout. It's got to be Mike Trout. He's the best player in there. <laughs> I can't pick another uh, another one other than him. You know, there's plenty of other interesting stories. I Cole Calhoun coming from relative nowhere to be a uh, you know powerful, great defender in right field is, is pretty interesting. But I think that uh, the fact that you know the best player in baseball is 24 years old on track to be a Hall of Fame by the time he turns 30. And playing for the Angels is still by far the most interesting thing on the team and probably one of the most interesting things in all of baseball. So it's got to be Mike Trout. Mike yep. Trout, Mike Trout. <laughs> when you do an Angels podcast, you're going to talk Trout the most of the time. That's the, that's the requirement. A few more times. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. 
He's pretty good. Pedro, thanks once again for coming on the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you, George. All right, so that's going to do it for our conversation with Pedro Moore. You can check out his Angels coverage all season long in the Los Angeles Times. You can follow him on Twitter, at Pedro Mora. Now let's send it back over to Ben Lindbergh to wrap things up. All right, that's it for today. Thank you to David and Pedro for coming on. You can send us emails for tomorrow's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also pre-order our book. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. And it's the story of how Sam and I spent last summer running the Sonoma Stompers, an independent league baseball team, and trying to put together and operate a team of professional players. You can pre-order it now at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever else people buy books. And in theory, get it a little bit in advance of the official release date, which is May 3rd. Please support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index. Go to BaseballReference.com and use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we'll be back tomorrow with our weekly email show. 